Made Visible helps people with invisible illnesses feel seen and heard. It provides a platform for people who seem fine but aren't to share their experiences. It also helps to create a new awareness of how we can be sensitive and supportive to those with invisible illnesses. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Made Visible. I'm your host, Harper Spiro, and I'm so glad you tuned in today. Today's guest is someone I met through previous guest, Joe DiNardo. Molly Pittman is a remarkable woman who has been through many challenges navigating the health of many of her family members. She's taken it upon herself to live fully through her grief. Welcome, Molly. Thank you so much, Harper. Thank you for this wonderful opportunity. So happy to have you here. So tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and what you do. Sure. My name is Molly O'Malley Pittman, and I'm first and foremost um, wife and mother to two teenagers, one who has autism, my 16-year-old son, Donovan. I am a business owner in our local community. I own a special needs activity center, actually not exclusive to special needs, but I should specify all-inclusive. So we are really equipped to welcome all families and all children into our space where they can come and they can play and find support and a community that believes that all children deserve the right opportunities, the deserved opportunities to just be themselves in a comfortable and safe nurturing environment. Our center includes a preschool program. We have 39 to three and four-year-olds. And out of that group, we have 13 that receive uh, services and supports to make sure that they're getting the academic foundation that they deserve as well. That's incredible. I love that you took your family story and decided that you could support other people. It says a lot about who you are. So your son was diagnosed with autism when he was two years old. How did that diagnosis come about? He was actually developing quite typically. We didn't have any real red flags until he was about 15, 16 months old and everything shut down. It was literally as if somebody had flipped a light switch and we lost Donovan. I was pregnant with Charlotte, his younger sister, who is 22 months younger. And I wasn't quite sure initially what had just happened. I thought maybe... He was nervous in anticipation of a new baby coming. Maybe it was um, something that was typical for the age. But I was blessed to have a pediatrician that is a good family friend. And I came to him immediately. And uh, as scary as it was, he presented the word autism almost immediately. And it was honestly devastating, but at the same time, a relief because it meant that I could do something to help him. And that became the immediate goal. And that goal has not changed all of these years later. What was that immediate response other than shocking, of course? How did you navigate those emotions? I really had to kind of wrap my mind around the fact, the reality that I was looking at a different child and a child that was going to need as much support as possible. And I'm a fixer. I'm somebody that needs to take things head on and gather as much information as I can to kind of solve that problem. It was crushing. It was not at a good time in my life. I had a lot of other things going on in my personal family, 
but it gave me an immediate purpose. And I, I really had to turn that heartbreaking news into an opportunity to do something positive in my life. And that meant being the best mother that I could possibly be. What did you know about autism before this diagnosis? Nothing. Do you remember? I truly knew nothing. I knew that it was a special needs diagnosis. I knew that he was going to need extra help, but the word autism meant nothing to me. I had heard of Down syndrome. I had heard of juvenile diabetes, things along those lines, more birth defect than developmental disability. What I knew in the immediate was that Donovan had had words and lost them. So I very naively thought that autism meant a speech delay, lack of words, lack of ability to communicate. And to be quite honest, for a long time, I thought that if we could find Donovan's words and he could speak, we would lose the diagnosis of autism. At the age of two, and his very first therapy was the day after his second birthday. I remember the day before having his birthday party and it being a completely out-of-body experience. I can still place myself there with a large number of family members and friends in our backyard and you know, going through the motions of happy birthday when truly inside I was grieving. Just an absolute loss of what our life looked like. It wasn't innocent anymore. And, um, you know, Charlotte was two months old, so I had baby in hand as well. I remember saying to my husband, as long as he can find his words by the time he goes to kindergarten, we'll be okay. Like if we were able to communicate with him, we could logically explain things to him in a way that everything else would fall into place and he wouldn't have autism anymore. And uh, that's not how it works. It's a lifelong challenge. And in having a teenager, it's become even more so um, emotionally challenging. Donovan is very much aware of the fact that he has autism. He is what they consider to be high functioning. And I can tell you that that doesn't make it any easier. It's more painful to watch him navigate through a world that doesn't make sense to him, that is overwhelming and stressful. He knows he's different and is desperate to be just like everybody else. You say high functioning. What does that mean in his case? Thank you for saying in his case, because I think that what most people really need to understand about autism, which I did not, is that it is a spectrum disorder and you can have challenges that present behaviorally and um, really they're paralyzed in fear to be part of the world to people who just come across as being a little bit different or a little bit quirky. Donovan's high functioning really does come in his awareness, his ability to love, to connect, to want to make friends, to be a part of our world. It's all there. He's high functioning in the way of his speech his articulation. You can have a conversation with Donovan as long as you're talking about things that he's interested in. Which is what? He loves directions. He is what I refer to as a human GPS. We've traveled across the country to Colorado a couple of times, Florida. We have family dispersed throughout. He can tell you after one trip how many miles on what throughway. 
where the next Tim Hortons is going to be, how many minutes if we take the speed limit. And his memory and his recall is just astounding. Um, Dates, numbers, smells. Just recently, I used a different bar soap in the bathroom. And after washing his hands, he came out and said, Mom, you haven't purchased Dove soap in quite some time. I said, really, Donovan? I said, when? When was the last time I purchased Dove soap? The school year, 2012. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, again, high functioning, it's a relative term. Academically, he struggles. Academically, as a sophomore, he has a sixth grade reading and math level. He can't comprehend. Uh, Sometimes I can't either. (laughs) But for him trying to um, pursue a career outside of high school, these are the challenges that we face. Is college a consideration? I do not know. I do not know only because I don't know that he can secure a diploma under the New York State um, standards and regulations for all that he is able to do academically with certain classes that he's chosen. Again, the math and the reading aren't intact, and it would be very stressful. We have tried some of the higher level courses for Donovan, and it brings out a level of anxiety that truly isn't fair. So we can continue to push in that direction, but that means years of tutors and extra help and things that really are probably beyond his reach. And not just because he has autism, but because it may just not be uh, something that makes sense to him. Is he in a specialized school currently? He is not. He is in a public school in our community here, and he has a hybrid of classes. So some special ed classes and some gen ed classes, and he hates it. He absolutely knows that he's in these special ed classes and doesn't want to be so. He wants to be like everybody else. He doesn't want to have aid support. He doesn't want to have extra tutoring. He wants to just go with the flow. How does he inform you that he wants to fit in and wants to be like everybody else? And how do you navigate that? He's pretty vocal. He's pretty honest. He writes letters. We've been journaling with Donovan and with our daughter, Charlotte, since they were younger, just because that verbal communication piece was lost for so long. Putting it on paper gives him control, allows for him to write it down at his pace instead of us pressuring him by demanding those words and being in his face. Um, He writes letters to family members, to old teachers expressing how he feels. We just recently had a situation where he wrote a five-page letter talking about all the things that he doesn't like about school. And it came as kind of a surprise because he holds it together at school. He is a people pleaser. He wants to make everybody happy. He wants to do a good job. He's an excellent, excellent, uh, well-behaved young man, very social with adults. They call him the mayor of the school. Everybody knows Donovan. So it was a surprise to the special education team when I brought this letter to their attention because he does, again, hold it together at school. The way that I navigate it, and I highly recommend this for any parent, no matter what your children's needs are or strengths, is to really create a level of trust and communication with the people that are with your child every day, all day. I call team meetings on a regular basis. We have a communication book. We email constantly 
So whatever his day looks like, I'm able to know it and deal with it on a timely basis. Fire drills. He's paralyzed with fear. Can't handle the anticipation of whether or not there's going to be a fire drill. His team knows he needs a heads up. He needs to wear his noise canceling headphones. And, um, you know, they work with me on those things. I'm very, very fortunate because I would like to think I have gained an element of respect in our community that allows to have that open line of communication with the people that do um, take good care of Donovan. I have tears in my eyes of how amazing of a mother you are. And it makes me think of my mom who would say, as I'm sure you would, like, what else am I going to do? This is my child and I have to do this for my child. But not every parent decides to be so dedicated and committed to making life as amazing as you possibly can for your child. So I just give you so much credit and you deserve it. Thank you, Harper. Thank you. So at the same time you were dealing with Donovan's diagnosis, you also were navigating life with losing close family members to Huntington's disease. Can you share a bit about what this disease is and how it's affected your family? Yes, I certainly can. Huntington's disease is a devastating genetic neurological disease. It really is all-encompassing of any neurological disease that you can possibly have. So ALS and MS, Alzheimer's, mental illnesses, it strikes adults at a very young age, and there's no cure There's no treatment. The only thing that can even help Huntington's patients is uh, things to kind of treat the symptoms. For example, it's called Huntington's chorea. Chorea means to dance. Huntington's patients suffer with tremors, loss of mobility, loss of speech, um, loss of cognitive awareness. It's kind of a spectrum in itself, as we referenced autism, in watching it in my family, and 11 people in my family have passed from this disease, starting from my grandmother down to my younger niece who just passed away at the age of 21. Sometimes they have the more physical component. Sometimes they have the more mental component. My father died in 1997. He was 44. Uh, He lost four siblings. So out of seven, five passed. I am the eldest of five and three have passed. I've also lost a cousin and uh, again, another niece who is suffering now. My sister, Katie, had died in 2001. My husband and I had been married for just a year. Donovan was born in 2003, diagnosed in 2005. So, you know, in our early marriage, that's kind of what it looked like right out of the gate. So still grieving for my sister, my brother Jay had been diagnosed right around um, the time frame that we were dealing with Donovan's diagnosis of autism. So autism is not something that I would have ever hoped for or wished for. But in growing up, watching people losing their lives to this hideous disease, I feel like autism was a gift in that it gave me a focus. It allowed for me to fight for something. I certainly couldn't do anything for my family members with Huntington's but love. But with autism, I could do something. And I really chose to take that pain 
and really turn it into empowerment. And that's kind of how I, I view my life as the pain has continued. Jay died in 2013. He was 32. My brother Jed died this April. He was 43 with a 16-year-old daughter. And again, I just lost my niece this past month. So it, the pain has continued. Huntington's doesn't go away. The loss doesn't go away. But with autism, there are small miracles. And those are the miracles that get me up every day. It's turning the feeling of devastation and desperation into hope and the challenge of being able to muster up enough energy to get up every morning into the determination that I'm going to make it the best day that I can possibly make it. And that's really with my children and the support of my husband and my family. It's the only way I've been able to navigate through the loss and the tragedy. Did or does your mother have it? No, she does not. And so it's you and your mom who did not have it. And my sister. The disease started with my father's family. So his mother had it. She was gone at the age of 37. So she had seven children. And again, my father, his three brothers, and a sister all passed. My mother and father didn't know that this disease was in our family when they had the five of us. Um, very often, we've been asked, and my poor mother questioned, as to why they had so many children, you know, not knowing, of course, that they had the disease. And it's a tough question to hear. I've been asked why I've had children, not knowing whether or not I had the disease. I got lucky. But the answer has always been, you never know what your lot in life is. And as awful as it has been to lose three younger siblings, I wouldn't have traded my time with them for anything. Wow. Did you serve as a caregiver to your family members before they passed? Yeah. They all took different paths. With my brother, Jed, he... he he was a tough guy. My family is definitely a group of survivors with or without Huntington's. He kept himself out of a nursing home. It was what he was determined to do. And, and he kind of died on his terms. So with him, it was, you know, taking him for outings. You know, he really needed 24-hour care towards the end, feeding, you know, making sure that he was always tended to. With Jay, he was diagnosed at the age of 18. Um, he was in a nursing home. And so that meant going to the nursing home and making sure that he was taken care of there. I would take Donovan and Charlotte with me and help feed him meals. He kind of liked the nursing home atmosphere. He was sick at such a young age that he never had the opportunity to go on to college or have girlfriends or go to parties. So at the nursing home, he kind of became king of the castle with all of these beautiful elderly people who kind of treated him as if he were a son or a grandson. But yeah, caregiving, it's what we've done our whole life. Wow. And so you mentioned that people have questioned you about having kids. What's your answer to that? What made you decide to have one kid and then another given this condition? Well, it's funny because Harper, to be completely honest, I did not know whether or not I wanted to have children because of the fear of the disease, because I wanted time in my life to be selfish with my husband. And when my sister Katie died at 24, I did a complete turnaround. I wanted nothing more than to have children, not knowing whether or not I had the disease. And the simple reason is because none of us have guarantees. None of us. 
I want to live life and I, I need to love. And that's really, again, how I survive by giving and being loved. My husband lost his very best friend to cancer. We were married in October uh, 99. He was cleared of having cancer. We went on our honeymoon for two weeks, came back, and he was gone six months later. And this was a gentleman who saved every penny, planned every detail of his life, and nobody asked him whether or not he was going to have children. It was just assumed that he was going to live a normal life and be healthy. I resented the fact that people asked me whether or not I was going to choose to have children because, again, there are no guarantees for any of us. And all that we can do is the best that we can do right here, right now, today. And I'm so glad that I made that choice. I can't imagine, had I not had children, what my life would look like now. Yeah, I'm sure. So you also have a daughter, as you mentioned, Charlotte, and you've told me previously how important it is to you to make sure that her needs are met as well and not overshadowed by Donovan's diagnosis. How do you balance that as a parent? Yeah, it's a tough balance. It really is. And I'm sure that, you know, I'm not perfect in doing so, but we do have a close relationship. Charlotte being 22 months younger has always kind of been the big sister. We do credit her with Donovan being successful in finding his words at the age of six. She wanted that sibling interaction, that playmate. She's just a force to be reckoned with. Uh, with Charlotte, we chose to make sure that she had her very own thing, and that's been dance. So she has her own hobby, her own time, and her own little goals in life. And so we carve out a lot of alone time for her because she's had to endure a lot. It's been tough. You know, when she was a baby, her life was sitting in on doctor's appointments and therapies with her brother, you know, three, four, five times a day. She's seen me in tears. She's heard me on telephone conversations. She's come to meetings on behalf of her Donovan, her brother, and that's how close they are. <laughs> Call her her Donovan. Oh, I love that. <laughs> um, we just recognize her for being the strong sibling that she is. And she's an exceptional young lady at the age of 14. She's had to, both kids have had to witness a lot that they haven't had to. But Charlotte and I talk very openly and honestly about things. I do the very best I can to validate her feelings. Um, when Donovan has rough moments, you know, anxiety, meltdowns, whatever it may look like, I know that it's not fun for her to see those things. She's had to sacrifice a lot to be that sibling who really does her very best to understand him as a person and love him as a person. I love that so much. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Cali Flower Foods. Cali Flower Foods was born when Amy Lacey was diagnosed with lupus and she realized she needed to change her eating habits for long-term health. As a mom, she knew she couldn't sacrifice taste when it came to feeding her family. So she spent months in her kitchen perfecting a cauliflower pizza crust. This pizza crust ultimately launched Cauliflower Foods. I've had this crust and it is seriously amazing. And I'm definitely someone who strives to eat healthy, but I also love good food and this crust checks both boxes. I'm always excited when I remember I have one tucked in my freezer. And to be honest, I like to keep a stockpile of them. They're that good. In addition to crust, Cauliflower Foods 
also makes flatbreads and frozen pizzas, and their products are low-carb, low-glycemic, gluten-free, and grain-free. To learn more, visit califlowerfoods.com and get 10% off your order using the code MADEVISIBLE at checkout. The code can be used one time on any order. That's C-A-L-I-F-L-O-U-R-F-O-O-D-S.com and made visible, one word, at checkout. And now back to the show. So you named your activity center after Charlotte, Sweet Charlotte. How did that come to be? Well, I always have to giggle because people who know me now and see what I do every day that knew me then, back before children and the diagnosis of autism, are blown away. I actually sold real estate for 10 years. I took. (laughs) Yeah, I sold real estate and loved it for almost 10 years. That was the core of my career. And when Donovan was diagnosed, at two. And again, Charlotte was two months old. That all came to a very quick halt. And that was another gift because it wasn't should I, shouldn't I. It was like, I have to quit now to be the mom I need to be. And that was a couple of years working with therapists and doctors at home, getting them situated into their own school districts. That was a challenge with Donovan. And when we found his miracle of you know hearing his voice, My husband and I wanted to give back to the community that truly helped to support us in our journey. And we created a puzzle piece shaped lollipop, the universal symbol of autism awareness. That was inspired by one of Donovan's speech pathologists who used to give Donovan a little taste of a citrus candy. There's a correlation between the citrus and the B12 and kind of wakening the senses to get ready to kind of learn perk up a little bit, if you will. So it was an orange flavored puzzle piece shaped lollipop. And we used it as a fundraising tool and an opportunity for me to go to special needs organizations and talk about our journey to try to support other parents in the beginning of their journey. That was great except I was making about 25 cents a lollipop. My husband was working two jobs to make sure that we were going to hold on to the house and everything that came along with it. And I was blessed by a woman in our community who helps other women start businesses. And she said to me, what do you really want to do? And I really wasn't quite sure what the next step in my life looked like at that point. And my response to her was, I want to do something to give to others in a way that I didn't have that same opportunity. So what I was missing when my children were younger was an opportunity to find a space that was both comfortable and safe for both of my children. I always had special needs playgroups for Donovan and then other playgroups for Charlotte, but nowhere that I could just really go as a mom and just be free. And that's what I wanted to give to others. And that's exactly what Sweet Charlotte's is. And we gave her the name just so she knew how important she was in our family dynamic and just to kind of credit her for being the individual that she is, knowing that the underlying message will always be about inclusion and autism awareness. We wanted to make sure that she had a part of it and that she wasn't forgotten. So there she is, Sweet Charlotte. So amazing. Well, and I think, you know, one of the things is that motherhood and parenting in general, I'm sure is such a challenge to begin with. So 
to have a child with autism and navigate all of that is a lot to do. So to be able to go to one place and not have to bounce around would be such a huge thing. And I'm sure such a relief for parents to know that they can go to one place and have all their needs met there. And that's my goal. It's really, I refer to it as my bubble of positivity because I can be having a really rough day. I could even be in that moment on the phone in tears, you know, just having a rough time. And those kids come in and it just lights up my life. And I sincerely care about every single person that walks into our space. And I've just been so blessed with the opportunity to do something that I truly believe I was meant to do. And I have a wonderful, wonderful group of beautiful, passionate, strong women who work for me, and they have the same belief. And we really try so hard to embrace every child and every family, wherever they are in their lot in life, and to relate to them where we can and hope that that positivity trickles outside of our space and we're doing our best to make a difference for others. Love that so much. So I just grabbed your book, which I wanted to acknowledge, which is called Love Without Words. It's a children's book. Can you talk a little bit about what it is and what inspired you to write this? Absolutely. Love Without Words is a story and a message that really is exactly that. Love does not need words. I'm sure we've all been in a place in our life where we've been told that we've been loved by somebody when, quite honestly, the actions haven't been there to back it up. Love is active. Love is making a friend a cup of tea or writing a birthday card and sending it out in the mail or helping a stranger by opening the door, sharing time. It was inspired, again, by my relationship with my children, or I should say their relationship. Charlotte would say to Donovan, I love you. And he couldn't respond. And I used our family dog as the example of what love looks like. And I said, Makio brings you a toy. He licks you in the face. He cuddles you on the couch, lets you take him for walks. You know, that's love. And her first question was, does Makio have autism? And I said, well, you know, mm. maybe. But it made sense to her. So I pulled out a collection of photos of real life moments and memories in our family. So there's a day trip with grandma. There's the kids dressed up in Halloween costumes, building a sand castle, but they're all actual things that have happened in our life and worked with a beautiful illustrator by the name of Jeffrey Perziak to translate those photos into images that I hope everyone can relate to because it really, really is the small things that we need to hold on to. And it's been a great opportunity for me to talk about our story and to talk about how we can acknowledge that we are loved, even in moments that we don't think that we are, and how we can pay better attention to showing people that we love them in our daily life. I love that so much. And it's so relevant to everyone. It's not just about autism. It's not just about chronic illness. It's about people as humans in general and pets. Absolutely. Um, we'll be sure to link your book in the show notes. So definitely check that out and purchase it. And so with autism, what is it that you want people to know about it that may not be educated and maybe in a place where you were prior to Donovan's diagnosis? I'm going to answer from where I'm uh, in our journey at this point in time in our life. Autistic children, autistic adults, 
are so very capable of building relationships and giving and receiving love. They want to be just as much a part of our community and our dynamic and our relationships as we are. They very much can appear to be removed. Our world is overwhelming to them. So you may see them with peculiar behaviors. It's called stimming. It's how they shut the rest of the world out. We all stim, humming, tapping your fingers, biting your fingernails, snapping, pacing, chewing gum. A lot of times that behavior is because they need help. It's not because they're weird. It's not because they're different. It's them saying help please. And so when you see that, please find it in your heart to be compassionate and empathetic and understand that they really need to feel connected. They just don't know how. And I'm not asking people to go out and to be their friends necessarily, but just to reach out and even say hello, just acknowledge their presence, even if it does look weird or even if it does look alarming. Autistic people can and do love. Thank you for saying that. So you previously had said to me that you feel a great responsibility to create a legacy for your children and the family members that you've lost. How does that impact how you lead your life? I know that I'm fortunate. It's hard to say that sometimes in losing three younger siblings that I miss desperately every day, all day. I can't stop now. I have a choice every morning to lay in bed and to feel sorry for myself or to get up and do something. And I have to get up and do something because if I don't, I strongly believe that I am doing a disrespect to all of my family members who have not been given the opportunity to live out a full life. And so it's really doing the best that I can to keep them alive by telling their story, by loving in a way that they loved. My brother, Jed, I don't think he had an enemy. Everybody loved him. He was just a handshaking, good time, memory-making kind of guy from kindergarten all the way through work associates and you know family members and friends. He was the most loyal human being. I have to try knowing that I will fall short to mimic that some way, somehow. Jay too. I mean, Katie, all of them, every single one of them. So it's really my responsibility to make sure that all of the loss, it's hard to say is worth something, but that something good can come out of that. And that's creating a life that means something for them and means something for me and my immediate family of four. It's clear that you are a phenomenal woman and mother and wife and sibling and daughter. Really, really clear. And it's also clear that you are all about giving back. What do you do for yourself to take care of you? Does that exist? I'm working on it. (laughs) Um, I'm working on it. I do have a beautiful relationship with my husband and that's a gift. We've just celebrated 20 years and that's something to celebrate. Absolutely. Thank you. We enjoy camping. We enjoy being outdoors. That's something that we do with our family at least a couple of times a year. For myself, it's really um, just downtime, just meditating and trying to be quiet in my mind. It's a challenge, but I'm working on it. I did yoga for quite some time. Talk about how things happen for a reason. 
in April, I had fallen down the stairs and broken my shoulder the same day that my brother was going into hospice. And uh, it was a meant to be situation because I was able to be with him in the end days of his life in hospice. But it was also a gift because it did teach me that I have to start to take some time for myself and delegate where I need to delegate. And I am surrounded by beautiful people who are reaching out to try to help me. And so that's where I am right now, recognizing that if I'm going to do anything that's going to be of significance, I do need to reach out and ask for help. So that's what I'm working on right now. And I will get back into yoga now that my shoulder has healed. And I think I'm in a different season in my life. That's great. And I think there's always room for figuring out what it is that feels and works best for you because you can't be the best version of yourself if you're not taking care of yourself, as I'm sure you know and have learned very well. I have. And it's what I tell other people all day long. And I certainly don't want to be a hypocrite and not doing it myself. And so I'm I'm trying. I get it. So Truly, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. I know it took some time to schedule and we were hoping to do it in person when you were giving an amazing talk here in the city, but I'm glad we were able to make this happen. Where can people learn more about you, buy your book and Sweet Charlotte's? Instagram, Facebook, and my website. I actually have started locally and I'm looking forward to doing more so regionally, um, speaking to different groups of people, motivationally sharing my story, becoming more transparent about both autism and survivor guilt as being someone who has finally been able to say those words. I want to open up what I talk about more so in that it can help more people and not just limit myself. And so... I am doing that currently. If people are interested in doing that, they can reach out to me through my website as well. And your website is? Uh, Sweetcharlottes.org. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Harper. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thanks for tuning in to Made Visible. We hope you learned about something new today. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes. We can't do any of this without your support. Visit madevisiblepodcast.com, follow Made Visible Podcast on Instagram, and join our new online community, facebook.com slash community. Special thanks to the team who made this possible. Elise Bonebright, the audio editor, Gemma Leghorn, the assistant producer, Dylan Chenfeld for the intro music, and Amanda Grisillo for the design.